All right, I've got to move into the scene here. Not every pastor preaches with a donkey. <laughs> All right. I still think we're the only uh, Christmas story that involves swords, so uh, we, we like to take care of business here. Okay, it is Christmas season. We're grateful that uh, you're here with us, and I want to make sure you know, and let's, uh, let's jump into the Christmas story today. So I'm going to pause for my Roman series, and we're going to teach from, talk about the Christmas story in Luke today, and... Don't you have to admit it's a weird story? I mean, it's just a weird story. Not, I'm not saying your children were weird here who acted. Don't, don't hear that. But, uh, I mean, really, we've got angel visits. We've got shepherds involved. You've got some wise men. You've got strange presents. Uh, you've got a virgin birth. And somehow it's the Son of God. This is a weird story. This is a weird thing we're celebrating. Let's just read it, and then we're going to talk about that idea. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and look at one particular aspect of the story, the angel visit to Mary. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and do verses 26 to 38 as we consider this story. Luke 1, 26 to 38. It says, In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And, her, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, do you ever just go, really? I mean, really that happened? We really believe that? We really, this is, this is what we're worshiping and singing about and making kids act out? And so every year when I get ready to start my Christmas series of sermons, I start with Chapter 2 in this book. This is called The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. It's a great book. And he has a, his chapter is called Birth, the Visited Planet. And so he looks at the different birth accounts. But he starts out, he talks about all the Christmas cards he got. And they have like beautiful New England snow skate scenes with happy little animals and, and fluffy little plump angels. And he said, then when you open the Bible, it doesn't really 
read like that at all. It's a very different story. But he captures a little essence of this whole idea of, really? We really believe this? So let me read just a couple paragraphs. Yancey says, I recall watching an episode of the TV show 30-something. This is not a new book, by the way. 30-something. In which Hope, a Christian, argues with her Jewish husband, Michael, about the holidays. Why do you even bother with Hanukkah, she asks. Do you really believe a handful of Jews held off a huge army by using a bunch of lamps that miraculously wouldn't run out of oil? Michael exploded. Oh, and Christmas makes more sense? Do you really believe an angel appeared to some teenage girl who then got pregnant without ever having had sex and traveled on horseback to Bethlehem where she spent the night in a barn and had a baby who turned out to be the savior of the world? Frankly, Michael's incredulity seems close to what I read in the Gospels. Do you really believe it happened like that, really? And here's one that people can get stuck on. Maybe you're stuck on. A virgin birth. Really? That's how this happens? That's, that's what we're basing our hope in, that a woman suddenly had a baby? Just boom, after an angel visit? So some people have struggled with this. What do we do with a virgin birth? And some have struggled enough to say, well, let's fix it. Let's, that maybe that's not what they meant to say. Maybe there's another solution. Maybe when the angel visited Mary and, and she was a virgin, he visited, behold, she, the virgin, she's engaged, says you're going to have a child. But really he meant you're going to get married and you're going to have a child in the normal way, but she was just a virgin when the angel visited. That's one solution you might find. Well, maybe it wasn't really that she was a virgin in the, at the, having the child, just when the angel visited her. But... You can't read the story and find that, right? When the angel announces to her in verse 34, uh, you're going to have this child, she says, hey, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And he doesn't say, well, next week I've got a quick wedding for you and Joseph down in Vegas and Elvis will be there. He doesn't say that. He says, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He says, God's going to do this. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. So the story doesn't allow for that. The story doesn't allow for you to say, well, maybe it was just a, a, wasn't really a virgin birth. No, the, the angel says God's going to do this. So others say, maybe this is a legend, a fable. You know, they're nice stories, they're told, and then they have kind of a, a moral point. This is how you help others. This is how you serve. Maybe it's just a legend. Once upon a time in a little town in Nazareth, there was this beautiful Jewish girl and she listened to the angel and good things happened. So you should listen to angels and good things happen. And it's kind of a, fa a legend. Or once upon a time, like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, a young girl was visited by a Jedi angel who promised her great power, right? Right? That's, that's how legends begin. A long time ago, they're in an undescript land and an undescript time. But if you open Luke, if you open the first paragraph of the book of Luke where we're taking this story, hear if this sounds like a legend, a fairy tale, a fable, a myth. Does this sound like one to you? Luke says in verse 1, chapter 1 of his letter, or his book here, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses 
and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He's not writing a legend. He's not writing a once upon a time, a long time ago. He's saying, I talked to eyewitnesses. I've put things together. I've compiled the story that's been told. I want you to know for certain that it really happened. Could it be that Luke interviewed Mary? She's 93 in the rocking chair. She says, I think of it just like yesterday. I'm praying. There's an angel in the room. I panic. He says, calm down. Could it very well be he interviewed her? He said, I compiled an account from my witnesses. Even if Mary didn't, he could have interviewed someone who interviewed Mary. He's not writing a fable. He's not writing a legend. You might say, I think he made it up. But he's not writing it in that tone. It doesn't come to us in that tone. It comes to us as a historical account where the author sought to be accurate. So then we might just get to... I just can't believe in a virgin birth. We can have Jesus as a great teacher. We can have him doing some good things, but this virgin birth, this isn't how it works, right? We, we, you've understood biologically it doesn't work that way. Does that even need to be in there? I just can't get there. It's just crazy. That just suddenly one day she's pregnant. Suddenly an angel talked to her. But here's what I want you to consider today. If, if this is something you've thought or, or considered that this is a hang-up, a struggle, you may already believe in a virgin birth. You may already believe in a virgin birth. Because there's multiple virgin birth accounts out there. There's the virgin birth of Jesus, the Son of God, which we just read, which was just acted. Or there is the virgin birth of the universe. And, and you may already subscribe to that virgin birth. So it might be a matter of which virgin birth. So let me, let me read this to you. May hold the, that the universe had no father, no parent. It just came. So this is an article called, What is the Big Bang Theory? The subtitle is, The Big Bang Theory is our best guess about how the universe began. This was in Space.com by Andrew May and Elizabeth Howell. They say around 13.7 billion years ago, everything in the entire universe was condensed in an infinitesimally small singularity, a point of infinite denseness and heat. Suddenly, an explosive expansion began, ballooning our universe outwards faster than the speed of light. This was a period of cosmic inflation that lasted mere fractions of a second, about 10 to the 32nd power of a second. According to physicist Alan Guth's 1980 theory that changed the way we think about the Big Bang forever. When cosmic inflation came to a sudden and still mysterious end, the more classic descriptions of the Big Bang theory took hold, or took hold. A flood of matter and radiation known as reheating began populating our universe with the stuff we know today, particles, atoms, the stuff that would become stars and galaxies and so on. This all happened with just, within just the first second after the universe began. When the temperature of everything was still insanely hot, 
about 10 billion degrees Fahrenheit, 5.5 billion Celsius, according to NASA. The cosmos now contained a vast array of fundamental particles such as neutrons, electrons, and protons, the raw materials that would become the building blocks for everything that exists today. So in their article, did you hear words like suddenly, in a second, mysteriously, in a moment? This is a a virgin birth, right? There's no father. There's no initiator. There's no plan. It's a random, unexpected event. It is a virgin birth. The universe just... So I'd suggest it's not if you believe in a virgin birth... But which one are you trusting? Which account are you trusting? Are you trusting the account that suddenly out of nowhere in possibilities with explosions and heats and gases, the materials form and then over billions of years we get to you? Or are you believing that uh, the Son of God was born of a virgin without a father, just bang, in a moment put there by the power of God? So a virgin birth story is likely something you're already comfortable with. So it's a matter of, well, which one's true? Which one accounts for the facts? So let me look at the account, and what I want to show you is that the account of God creating and then the account of the virgin birth story are actually very similar and give us great meaning and understanding of all that we see and know. So here's the account of God's creation of the universe. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so here we have God over the, a watery ball of emptiness, right? It says it was empty and void. And uh, then God, in a moment, spoke, and light comes out. Boom, over the darkness. And then he, you can read the whole account in Genesis. He proceeds systematically to create and then organize, to create and organize, and to, and to establish. So it began in darkness and chaos and empty space, and God creates. He speaks it into existence in a moment. And actually... <laughs> So does the Christmas story. It's the same process, and it's because it's the same God doing it. So look here. The angel says to Mary, when she says, how, how am I going to have this child? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So just as in God's creation account, he's, his spirit is hovering over a dark, empty earth. Now the Spirit of God is hovering over Mary's dark, empty womb. It's the same creative action. It's the same creative God. And he can just say, light. And he can say, baby, in a moment. It says, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. God can put it there. Just as God can speak creation into existence. And he goes on in verse 37 to say, for nothing will be impossible with God. That God can speak a universe into existence. God can speak a child into existence. God can put his own eternal son there. So the question then is, well, why? 
Why does he do that? Why does he need to do that? Why does he need to come? Why does this have to happen? And what we see is that human sin has plunged us back into darkness. God creates and he creates light and he creates an earth and he creates a paradise and then human sin and darkness returns. And so here's an account from Isaiah chapter 8 and it describes some people on earth. It describes God's people who move from worshiping and trusting God to trusting other things in a rebellion and turn to other spiritual practices and it describes the darkness that we're plunged into. So in Isaiah eight nineteen, it says, uh, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, and when they say to you, when the people say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. So he's saying, look to these other spiritual guides. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, they will be thrust into darkness. So this is describing a people who said, we don't really want to follow God. We want to look at our own. We're going to turn to other alternative spiritual things. And then it says, then they look with anger to God. Then they look to the earth for solutions. And it's more darkness. Darkness can mean both evil and bad. It can also mean lack of knowledge. What do we do? How do we fix this? Where do we go forward? But when you flip over to chapter 9, verse 2 of Isaiah, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So this is setting up the Christmas story. That humanity, because of our sin and wickedness, our rebellion against God, it plunges us into darkness, into evil, into brokenness. But then it says there's this light that's going to shine. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do today. To trust God's intentional miracle for you to trust God's intentional miracle for you and it comes in this Christmas story and it becomes because we're plunged into darkness so again if we look at Isaiah 9 2 it says the people who've dwelt in darkness on them a light has shone here's some important things to for us to see from this Christmas story the light comes from outside not inside. It doesn't say they discovered a light. It doesn't say they looked to the earth and then figured out the wisdom or they found the right spiritual source. It says a light has shone on them. The light comes from outside. It comes from an external source, not from within. Then you jump down to Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace. So we have two things. We have a child given, we have light from outside, and we have a child that is given. He is a gift. These are God rescuing from the outside, not people solving the problem from the inside. The people are plunged into darkness. God shines a light from the outside. 
he gives a gift in his son. If you read the opening to John, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That Jesus is that light who comes. So when we get to this account of the virgin birth, we see two very contrasted things. We see the virgin birth as God exercising his power on the one hand that he can with a thought, with a plan, put his son in the womb as a single cell to grow in the womb and then be born. So it's God demonstrating his power, the same power that speaks creation. He can, he can do the virgin birth. And it is simultaneously releasing his power. He's releasing his power. This is how Paul tells us in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we understand God to be a trinity, a three in one. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. And here God the Son, it says he emptied himself. So we see in God's power to do a virgin birth with Mary, but also God's the Son's letting go of his power to become an infant, to be born in the likeness of men. We had some people over uh, Friday, actually Pastor James from Resonate and his wife, and they have a little, little guy now named Elijah. So I was watching Elijah. The kid's got some thighs on him. Definitely nose tackle material. But that's another. But um, just watching this kid kind of squirm around. He's not crawling yet. He's twisting around and thinking, the son of God became that. It's got to be fed, carried, changed, protected. He emptied himself of all eternal power and prerogative. And he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself all the way down to die for us. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He died for us. And so he's exalted on high. So we see that God both demonstrates his power, he releases his power for Christmas. So we want to trust God's intentional miracle for you. In Romans 5, it says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of it, not that people figured it out, not that we got good and he said, okay, now I'll go help them. Remember, we're plunged into darkness. We need help. We're still sinners. We cannot be righteous. We cannot make ourselves righteous. He says, I'll send Christ for you. So that's why I'm saying this is God's intentional miracle. He's, he's exercising his power once again, to put his son in the womb, and then his power not only to die for your sins, but to rise again, and it's, it's for you. Right? The salvation of Jesus is for the world. And I put these words really important here, the idea of trusting it and that it was intentional. 
I want you to trust the intentional. So I I want us to go back to that initial thought and consider the implications of the virgin birth of the universe. It's a big bang. It's random. It's accidental. It's unexplained. It cannot be repeated scientifically. But here's what it means. That you're a random, an accident, a chance, that you've existed as a human, that in the end it doesn't really matter how good you are or how evil you are, how much you love or how much you hate because you're going to die and be decomposed in the earth and time marches on and you came from nothing and your life has meant nothing and it will mean nothing. That's the implication of the trusting in the virgin birth of the universe and your existence. But if you consider the implications of the virgin birth of Jesus, the Son of God, it means that not only did God plan for this life on earth, he planned for your existence. And then when we plunged ourselves into deep darkness, he, through another miracle, planned for your salvation at the sacrifice of himself. And so that means that your life has intense meaning because the Son of God was willing to pay the price for it. And it means he desperately wants you forever because once you begin to know him, eternal life starts that moment and goes forever. That you begin immediately life with Christ and it extends to forever. So then everything you do matters. Every act of love is rewarded. Every act of service is honored. And every act of failure we can ask for forgiveness for. So the implications of the virgin birth of the Son of God is that your life is meaningful, is worthwhile, is eternal, has a purpose. And so it's something that you can trust that God did it for you on purpose, with purpose, and only he could do it. Only he could do it. So some of you know this story, and I would just encourage you to just worship and love God like crazy this Christmas season. To be reminded that it wasn't accidental. It wasn't that God one day thought, well, let's try this weird, you know, Mary virgin thing. No, this was a plan on purpose to accomplish his purposes. Some of you, I'd ask you just to continue to explore this. Maybe you never really considered the implications of what you're trusting in. If you're struggling to trust the virgin birth, continue the process. Continue to look. Consider the things we've talked about. Look into the accounts themselves. And realize, I want to trust that God. If you want to even respond today, you can begin and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know this plan. If you want to talk more after the service, if you want to pray with people, we'll be up front to talk more with you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your intentional, purposeful plan that you both have the power to execute and the desire to do it because you did it. We worship you. We praise you. Let us never forget what you've planned for us. Lord, I pray for any who are struggling with the whole concept, that they would really consider what they're trusting, what they're believing in, what they're basing their whole source of identity on, a random process or an intentional design. I just pray that you would bring faith, you'd bring conviction, you would draw hearts to you. Thank you again for this Christmas season, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.